A fundamental question we're faced with right now is should we let the squad and AOC slide? Should we let Bernie Sanders slide? Are they going to walk the walk or are they going to talk the talk? Is there still some use for so-called progressives within the DNC or should we be done with them forever? Are they achieving anything that actually needs to be achieved or are they distracting us from doing what is necessary to achieve what we need to achieve? Are they more of a help or are they more of a hindrance? Keaton Weiss from Do Dissident seems to think they're more of a help. Popularresistance.org seems to take the other side. Keaton's conclusion, Keaton's conclusion, that sounds good, is that the Democratic Party is the problem, not AOC or Jimmy Dore. So I'm a little skeptical, but let's give him a chance to see if he can make this argument convincingly. David Sirota wrote a clever piece a few weeks before the November election in which he compared Trumpism to the toxic pink slime running underneath the streets of New York City in Ghostbusters 2. He explains how in the movie the slime is the physical manifestation of negative psychological energy, hate, loathing, rage, and nihilism, and that it causes those who come in contact with it to be overcome with these negative emotions and lash out angrily against each other. It already sounds a little bit, Keaton, like a plea for party unity. Just saying. A few months later, the left is roiled in a bitter feud over Jimmy Dore's effort to pressure progressive congresspeople into forcing a Medicare for All House vote by threatening to withhold their votes from Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House unless she publicly promises to bring Medicare for All to the floor for a vote. When Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez rejected this strategy, Jimmy responded by accusing her of gaslighting her base, which she was doing, and acquiescing to party leadership, which she was doing. This caused numerous independent progressive media figures to come to AOC's defense and some to back Jimmy's plan. To put it mildly, things got pretty nasty pretty quickly. I don't know if nasty is the right word. I would say maybe contentious was the right word. And when people contend with each other, it isn't necessarily bad faith or nasty. Jimmy is accusing anyone who isn't on board of being sheepdog party loyalists, and that is true in some of the cases that he makes, and proclaims that they are unmasking themselves as faux progressives by not taking his side. And again, that's true in some cases. Others in left media are accusing Jimmy of grandstanding for clicks and subscribers and unfairly attacking fellow progressives for self-serving purposes. While it is fair to say that Jimmy likes attention, he's an artist, he's a performer, I don't think it's fair to say that he's operating in bad faith. If the only reason he's doing this is for clicks and subscribers, then that's bad faith. You're accusing him of operating in bad faith. Not you, Keaton, but the people attacking him this way. Jimmy is correct that under these circumstances, there is no excuse for not pushing as hard as possible for Medicare for all. 15 million people have lost their health coverage during a pandemic that has killed over 300,000 Americans, and progressives in the House have outsized leverage thanks to the Democrats' slim majority. If ever the question, if not now, when, applied, it's now. Jimmy is also right to challenge AOC's honesty about why she's not backing this push. None of her many explanations and rationalizations make much sense. Most egregiously, she claimed that the Medicare for All co-sponsor list was an adequate indicator of who in the House actually supports the policy and who doesn't. This is patently absurd. I would say, Keaton, that this point you're making here is the most powerful point of your article. 
caucus chair Hakeem Jeffries, a sworn enemy of just about every progressive insurgent to ever run against a centrist incumbent who played the race card against justice Democrats by claiming they were wrongfully targeting black leaders to primary, who publicly attacked AOC's former chief of staff, Saikat Chagrabarti, for similarly bullshit identity politics related reasons, who was one of Hillary Clinton's most vicious attack dogs against Bernie Sanders in 2016, is a co-sponsor on Pramila Jayapal's M4A bill. That says everything you need to know about the value of the co-sponsor list, but it's also a testament to the value of forcing the vote. Jeffries is widely thought to be next in line for the House Speakership. He's publicly on record as both a Medicare for All supporter, he's a co-sponsor, and a staunch critic of his progressive colleagues who openly advocate for it. In other words, he's exactly the kind of Democrat who needs to be forced into a definitive yay or nay vote. Getting him on record would itself be good enough reason to back the force the vote effort, seeing as Jeffries is Pelosi's likely successor if and when she ever decides to relinquish the throne. And so yes, it makes total sense right now for the progressives to rep their base, leverage their power, and force a vote on Medicare for all. And yes, it sucks that AOC isn't willing to do it, and it sucks that she's not being honest about why she isn't willing to do it. Somehow, Keaton, I feel that the next paragraph might begin with the word but. Oh yeah, it does, but. I think I would have preferred it if you just stopped right there. But there's something else at play here. This isn't all about Jimmy Dore being pure and righteous and AOC being corrupt and deceitful. There's more to it than that. There's a river of pink slime, as Sirota would put it, flowing underneath this entire conversation. That pink slime is the Democratic Party. I think David Sirota is a DNC apologist, even though, like Cenk Uygur, he's willing to criticize them openly. I think it's pretty clear after what he said recently that he is controlled opposition. So I think it's a strike against your argument that you're using him to help make it. The real conflict here is between those on the left who still feel that the Democratic Party is an institution of some legitimacy that can and must be the vessel, if not the vehicle, for progressive change and those who don't. This is not, as Jimmy would have us believe, a matter of who individually is for real and who isn't. I don't think you're going to be able to successfully support that point. I think it is a matter of who is for real and who isn't, and I think that's true of pundits also. Back to Keaton. It's a matter of who still holds out hope that the Democratic Party can be redeemed and who thinks it's broken beyond repair. AOC and her defenders are in the former camp, Jimmy and his, the latter. That point is true. It really does come down to who thinks it can be redeemed and who thinks it's broken beyond repair. AOC is, after all, a Democrat. She ran as a Democrat. She serves as a Democrat. She's great for a Democrat. But her party affiliation and her place within the duopolistic electoral system inherently and inevitably limits the roles she can play in the progressive movement. I think because of Bernie's relationship to Chuck Schumer and the party establishment, he's in the same position, even though he's supposedly an independent. I think it's patently obvious that he sold his soul to the DNC a long time ago. Back to Keaton. The course she chose was to work within the system, within the party, to try and effect as much change as possible. This is why, when pressed on the view about her relationship with Nancy Pelosi, she referred to her as Mama Bear. She did this in mid-February of 2020, two weeks before Super Tuesday, as a surrogate for the Bernie Sanders campaign. 
Her goal at the time was to use her appearance on that show, which caters mostly to mindless blue MAGA wine moms, to convince as many viewers as possible to vote for Bernie in the upcoming primaries, which were less than a month away at the time. In service of that goal, she obviously thought it best to take a more conciliatory tone towards party leadership than she'd probably liked to have done, so as to signal to the mainstream liberals in the audience that she and the campaign she represented weren't overly hostile to the party they sought to lead. That sounds really slimy to me. Whether it's pink or not, I can't tell. Fuck the blue MAGA wine moms. I suspect she was faking her adulation for Pelosi, and given the circumstances, I don't totally blame her. Well, I, Keaton, totally blame her. I think it's bullshit. And before you scoff too loudly at that, Keaton says, I want you to check yourself, because during the primaries, every Bernie supporter was playing that exact same game. Not me, I wasn't playing that game. Whether we can admit it or not. Even the most militant Bernie or Busters were committed to an inside-the-party strategy, which meant we needed to, one way or another, with vinegar or with honey, try and win over as many mainstream Democrats as we could in order to push our candidate over the finish line. I think, Keaton, it matters whether you're using vinegar or honey. I was trying to threaten the wine moms into voting for Bernie in the primaries. I was trying to tell them they weren't going to get Mayo Pete or Elizabeth Warren they were only going to get Donald Trump. Turns out they got someone, in my opinion, who's worse than Donald Trump. And I count Kamala just as evil as Biden. They're both worse than Donald Trump. Just as Hillary is worse than Donald Trump. And all the pundits who are funded by Hillary are worse than Donald Trump. And that includes Cenk Uger. And that includes anyone who is under the same influence to try to suck up to the kinds of viewers that would watch Cenk Uger. When it comes down to us and them, if we're talking about them as being true populists, true grubby populists, and us is the group of comfy people who are educated and have a little bit more going for them, I don't know if I'd be able to say where exactly us starts and them stops. The hallmark of a shit lib is that they talk down to people. They talk about us as being the educated ones who know better and the them as being the grubby populists who just want to have Medicare for all and a decent wage. But in the next paragraph, you're identifying yourself as us, the grassroots, as opposed to us, the shit libs, or us, the comfy people, or us, the educated people. The difference between us and the grassroots and politicians like AOC is that once that campaign failed, we on the outside were free to abandon the Democratic Party altogether, whereas AOC was still bound by her position as a Democratic Congresswoman. Unless she fucking quits, which she should do right now. She should have quit as soon as she knew they were cheating Bernie. Nina should quit. And David Sirota should quit trying to achieve party unity, as should MPP. Party unity, to me, automatically signals sheepdogging shitlibs. Back to Keaton. Therefore, she remains to this day stuck playing yesterday's game of trying to influence the party from within. In her estimation, in order to do that, she has to pick her battles very carefully. She doesn't see this particular force-the-vote battle as winnable, which is why she isn't fighting it. Is she wrong about that? I don't think it matters, Keaton, if she's wrong about that. You have to fight battles because it's the right thing to do, not because it's winnable. Choosing battles pragmatically that you think you can win is fucking slimy. Back to Keaton. Is she wrong about that? In my opinion, she most certainly is. 
But does her being wrong signal a nefarious motive on her part or a hidden loyalty to party leadership or an affinity for status quo politics? No, it does not. If she wants to signal that she has no nefarious motives, then she just needs to get her ass out of that fucking party. And if Noam Chomsky wants to signal that he has no nefarious motives, he has to stop telling us to vote for corporatists. Cornell West has to tell us to stop voting for corporatists. David Sirota, even Professor Richard Wolff, they have to tell us to stop voting for corporatists under any circumstances. Otherwise, I think it's fair to call them out. I think it's fair to say they may have bad faith motives. Back to Keaton. AOC's place in the progressive movement is, for better or worse, inside the Democratic Party. There is no progressive movement inside the Democratic Party. When are we going to get this through our skulls? That was me if you couldn't tell. Back to Keaton. Her standing in the party is her perch from which she can wield power. Right, power. Yeah, right. And she therefore feels a responsibility to protect it. That's what Bernie does too. Jimmy calls this careerism. I call it careerism if it's what Elizabeth Warren does. It's not quite as clear that it's careerism when AOC or Bernie does it. But if she weren't the careerist he says she is, she'd still be tending bar in New York and she'd have no power to fight for her agenda, which is still essentially our agenda as progressives. Is that why she voted for the CARES Act? And if she voted against it, you sure can't hear her voting against it. Did she call for a roll call vote on the CARES Act? No, she did not. Could she have done so? Yes, she could. Back to Keaton. But once again, for better or worse, she is, because of her position, fully committed to fighting her fight within the Democratic Party. And because the Democratic Party is that river of toxic pink slime that poisons everything in its path, including David Sirota, in order to work within the party, she has to lie for the party, apologize for the party, feign admiration for the corrupt party leadership, and toe the party line, T-O-E, the party line, which says that the GOP, not the system itself, is public enemy number one. Again, that sounds fucking slimy. To those of us who have given up on the Democratic Party entirely, this is very upsetting to see. It appears to us that our rising stars have been co-opted by the establishment they were elected to rebel against. So we get angry, we get bitter, resentful, jaded, maybe even a bit nihilistic in the face of it all. The pink Democrat slime does its work on us. Not on me. Because even as we've made what we thought was a clean break from the party, I've made a clean break from the party, we can't keep ourselves from crawling back to it, begging some of its more progressive members for help, thinking that maybe they'll take a stand for what's right and good and just, not realizing that however well-intentioned they are, they're stuck on the wrong side of the equation, the evil side of the equation, because they went all in on an inside-the-system strategy that we as bloggers, podcasters, readers, and activists never did. I don't know if all of us never did. Jacobin Magazine and DSA absolutely went all in on an inside-the-system strategy, and they are not showing their colors to be good colors by doing so. They should abandon the DNC right now. Jacobin Magazine, DSA, you have no credibility as progressives until you abandon the party. What you're doing right now is distracting us from what we actually need to do, and that's what controlled opposition does. Back to Keaton. We kept our distance from the party, whereas they infiltrated it. 
and now they're mired in the slime because they thought they could successfully detoxify the Democratic Party. And so we on the outside don't have to put up with any of their nonsense when they try to pull us into their delusions about how a co-sponsor list is a good enough indicator of who supports Medicare for all and who doesn't, but we don't have to hate them for it either. You know what, Keaton? I'm past that. I think we do have to hate them for it. Keaton says, we can just see the truth for what it is. Jamal Bowman, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Mark Pocan, Pramila Jayapal, Ilhan Omer, and Cori Bush are good people with good ideas and good intentions, and they can partner with us in certain instances. Yeah, I don't know what those would be. When weaknesses in the system afford them the space to do so. Yeah. No, it's not going to afford them the space to do so. Not now, not ever. But we cannot count on them for leadership because they've got the toxic slime of the Democratic Party all over them. And some of us, Keaton, if we're not careful, are going to get toxic slime all over ourselves as well. If we're not willing to divorce ourselves completely from that Democratic Party, I don't see how we're going to avoid the slime syndrome that you describe. And here's the conclusion. It's as simple as that. The party is the problem because the party is poison, and whenever we invest too heavily in the party, I would say whenever we invest in it at all, or any of its functionaries, well-intentioned as they may be, as a solution to any of our problems, we get some of that poison on us. That's how a feud like this one grows so bitter. Those of us who know the virulent toxicity of the Democratic Party are those who know better than to make this a battle of personalities. The enemy is the institution, as is always the case in any struggle for justice. But that institution, Keaton, is composed of personalities who are individuals. But Keaton says we must not let our emotions cause us to lose sight of that truth. I don't think you can make that distinction. I'd say if you have pink slime all over you, then you are the problem. That's why I can't in good conscience endorse Cornell West, David Sirota, or Noam Chomsky. They're dead to me. They're slimy. There's no point going forward with MPP if it's already slimed out. Even Jimmy Dore doesn't understand that. Now I'm going to read you part of a popular resistance.org article called The 2020s Bring the Crises We Face into Clear Focus. They begin with a summation of everything that's been going on, and they describe important lessons from 2020, which is a pretty good description. But I want to jump to the part of the article called The Path Forward. And I think this serves as a clear rebuttal to Keaton's article. In 2021 and beyond, it is time to break with the notion that we can elect our way out of this. The current campaign to force the vote in Congress on Medicare for All is revealing what happens when progressives are elected into a capitalist imperialist party. They are marginalized and or become champions of that corrupt structure. This campaign is a critical test to determine whether the Democrats will fight for our interests or whether their words are empty rhetoric designed to placate us so they can regain power. And I don't think it matters whether they're marginalized or become champions of the corruption. Either way, they aren't doing anybody a damn bit of good. We should attempt to hold elected officials accountable, but our success in winning the changes we need requires that we organize outside of electoral arenas. In our current system, the Democrats and Republicans control the electoral process. When we work within that realm, we are working in a system, a rigged system, in which we have the disadvantage. It is an anti-democratic structure that distracts us from the long-term community base-building work needed to establish real political power. It distracts us. It's a shiny object. 
That's exactly what controlled opposition does. It distracts us. They say the right things, but their real point is to keep us from doing what needs to be done to solve our problems. This is another lesson we can learn from other countries. Liberal democracies are designed to support capitalism. We need systemic change in the way we govern our society. There are alternatives being developed that are based on participatory democracy, and we talked about that with Mike Gravel, so that people have the power to make decisions. Venezuela is one country that is struggling to build a participatory structure from the local to the national level. That is one reason why it is being targeted by the U.S. and we who live in the U.S. need to work to stop our government's illegal interference in its revolutionary process. Around the world, including in the U.S., people are experimenting with new systems. During the 2020s, we need to expand on that work. One way to start is locally by identifying needs in our communities and working collectively to meet them. If you need ideas on building alternatives, check out the Create section of our website or the New Economy tag. You might also want to check out the free Popular Resistance School on how social transformation occurs. For sure, one way that it doesn't occur is when sheepdogs get too much leverage over us. We are not going to be able to achieve what this last paragraph suggests unless we get the fuck out of the DNC. Completely out. At this point, I think we all need to assume that anyone who is still a Democrat is a sheepdog and is controlled opposition. And anyone who apologizes for Democrats is a sheepdog and is controlled opposition. Here's the last paragraph. In this decade, we can stop the machine and create a new world. We will need to resist the harmful policies and practices, sheepdogging in particular, that exist through strategic campaigns and replace them with alternative systems rooted in the values we want to achieve. Within this framework, there is something for everyone to do. If we succeed, we will create a stable foundation for the country and decrease the harm the United States does to the rest of the world. And that will truly be something to celebrate.